This episode of Diffusion Science Radio is supported by you, the listener. When you visit audibletrial.com science to try Audible free for 30 days, go to www.audibletrial.com science to receive your free audiobook today. Or make a donation directly on www.diffusionradio.com. The International Science Radio Show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, kindergarten makers, teen roboticists and handy seniors. But first up, here's the news. Machine telepathy. Humans have transferred thoughts in Morse code across thousands of kilometres with the assistance of machines. Well, okay, that was achieved over 100 years ago. The difference this time is that the sender just had to think of either two things to be read by a cap of electrodes, which caused a super strong magnet triggered by code to wiggle over the receiver's head until they hallucinated flashing lights. The project is a collaboration between Starlab Barcelona, Harvard's Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Centre, and Axelum Robotics, partly funded by EU OpenHive Projects. Researchers based in Spain and France waited with the receiver. In Kerala State in India, the emitter had to imagine moving their feet or moving their hands. An EEG electroencephalograph electrode cap collected electrical signals from their brain, and software was able to turn the two signals into either a zero or a one. The emitter could encode a word like hello by turning it into binary code and then thinking about moving their feet or moving their hands in the right sequence. The signal was sent over the internet to Strasbourg in France, where a computer moved a robot arm over the head of the receiver. The robot arm holds a very powerful magnet used for transcranial magnetic stimulation. The magnet can induce currents in the receiver's brain without the need for any surgery to insert electrodes. When a current is induced in the visual cortex, the receiver hallucinates a flash of light called a phosphine. By counting the flashes of light, or their absence, the message from India could be decoded. Morse code, with its long and short flashes, would have been easier for humans to work with, and would have less errors than binary. The team were able to send through one bit of information in 30 seconds, with about a 15% error rate. If the transcranial magnetic stimulation had been of the motor cortex instead of the visual cortex, they could have induced movement in the person receiving the signal. Like a puppet. They recruited four subjects. One was chosen as the emitter, and the other three as the receivers. The subjects wore masks and earplugs to cut out environmental distraction and to make more certain the information they received was from inside their heads. The emitter composed the binary for 140 bits and it was emailed to the receivers over 8,000 kilometres away. 
a program parsed the email and moved the robot arm with the magnet over the receiver's heads. They used a cipher devised by Roger Bacon in 1605 and randomised the message to make sure it wasn't predictable by the receivers and for statistical analysis of the error rates. Since the receivers couldn't guess or understand the messages, they had to call out every time they saw a flash and then wait until the end for the researchers to decode the message for them. The first message was hola, and the second was ciao. The team's long-term interest lay in getting people to share their thoughts. The paper was published in the Public Library of Science, PLOS One, and was titled Conscious Brain-to-Brain Communication in Humans Using Non-Invasive Technologies. Listening to Ian Wolf on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. At the Sydney Mini Maker Fair, I spoke with John and App, co founders of Makers Empire, who have computer aided design software that lets kids as young as five years old make their own things on a 3D printer. Our basic offering is the world's easiest to use 3D design and printing software. Uh, it'll allow kids as young as five to get into 3D printing and start learning how to do this. Uh, we've been testing it in schools with reception kids all the way up to about year sevens, year eights, and uh, talked to like hundreds of students and lots and lots of teachers and have developed a whole learning program that will allow uh, teachers to in- introduce this into the lowest levels of primary school uh, and get their kids excited about 3D printing. And uh, basically with, uh, with our software, you don't have to learn any CAD. There's no technical expertise. So yourself, young as children's reception, all the way to 60-year-olds. We've tried it with uh, senior citizens as well. So anyone, anyone can do it. If you've got a tablet, you can do it. Did you say reception? Reception, yes. Uh, before year one, so, yeah. Sorry, before year one, there's reception. So kindergarten. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, we're from Adelaide. Adelaide. We're from yeah, Adelaide, so. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> that's all right, that's all right. I just hadn't... Can you say that here? Uh, kindergarten. Kindergarten, okay. So... Yeah, the first level before uh, year one. Yeah. <laughs> it's just those little things you occasionally yeah, go, what was that? That's all right. It had me there for a second, sorry. I just haven't travelled enough. <laughs> so, exotic place, out of way. So if you can tell me something about this, I'm looking at the screen and it looks amazingly easy. You've got a, the stage of this, what looks like, I guess it corresponds to the 3D printer and some shapes and things. Yeah, so at, at, when you bring up our software, you get a build plate and then different types of things you can make on it. It's modular based, so it's kind of directed. So it's not really like uh, Adobe Photoshop where you have a blank slate. Instead of that, we give you some building blocks to start with. So the one that you're currently looking at at the moment is what we call the shaper, where you get some simple shapes and you can extrude them and and modify them and join them to make quite complex um, creations and have them uh, guaranteed to print out on a 3D printer, which I I know a lot of the more complicated CAD software, you can actually create amazing things, but there's just no way that they'll actually print. So that's the other kind of advantage of our software is that we'll make sure that the student will get something that's actually uh, realisable. A sanity check. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. right. That's right. 
you know, just we don't want people to like spend lots and lots of time learning how to uh, use the tools to create. We want them to like be able to design quickly, prototype it, or make it in production, and then have instant gratification. Just see what you've made from concept straight to the actual 3D object. Yeah. And so, how are kids responding? Well, the teachers tell us in the classrooms, we've seen the pilot class as well, is that they have quite high level engagements. So you can see here, once we show them a few little tips here and there, and then away they go. And they're actually in the classroom themselves, they teach the teachers themselves as well. Yeah. Is there any problem with the fact that 3D printing is quite slow at the moment? Uh, I mean, we, we see that as a, a major problem that is, we're not trying to tackle. The hardware, there's plenty of guys out there doing hardware, and they're going to fix that problem for us. We see the, the hardware is improving like double every year, so it's falling price by half or doubling functionality pretty much every year. And it's really affordable now, so some of the schools that we know started with like, a simple 3D printer, they found it too slow, they've moved on to the larger MakerBot printers, and then they can print, uh, in one class they can print everyone's models on three printers so they have like you know about eight models per printer and uh, it's a you know pretty good way to, to move forward with it and your software works with any 3d printer yep that's right that's right long, long as you have um, your standard stl file and the 3d printer can read it which is a common um, stl uh, file format that all the 3d printers read uh, you'll be able to print it out and does it run only on windows or mac or uh, at the moment ours is uh, optimized for tablets so apple ipad and, and Android tablet devices, that's right. Well, it works for Windows tablets as well, but at the moment most schools are on iPads, so we kind of focus on that, but it's also in the Android store, and it's free to download and try, so you can get out there and um, start designing and see how you like it. So if people want to look for you online, where should they look? Makersempire.com. Or in the Android or, apps or Apple App Store, as just under Makers Empire. And then in the, uh, basically in the school environment, we make it really easy for teachers. So we have um, lesson plans aligned with the Australian curriculum because teachers, we want to keep making sure that they reach learning outcomes. So um, make it as easy as possible. We have lesson plans as reference points. We also have like a teacher's portal. So if you've got like a class of 30 students, from the click of a button on your web portal, you can see all their designs and then you can click, wow, bang, all their designs in one go. And you can also um, really see the progression of it as a child and it'll go through hopefully all through primary school from their first designs in like reception to the really complex designs by year seven uh, or year six here. You can see how they've developed. It's amazing. Well, thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Ian. Hi, thanks for having us. That was John and App from Makers Empire. You can find out more at makersempire.com. And now, teenage roboticists. Caitlin from First Challenge Community Robots team Indivisibles, Stephanie Karan from Macquarie University Thunder Down Under Robotics team, and Pusido from Macquarie University's FTC team. They're all competing with robots they built themselves. I'm Caitlin and I'm from the First Tech Challenge Community Robotics team, the Indivisibles. Hi, I'm Stephanie Karan and I'm from Macquarie University's Thunder Down Under FTC Robotics team. I'm Kusaito from Macquarie University FTC team. We've had a certain amount of time to build them, some a long period of time, some a very short period of time. So we have that time to build the robots, design them, have a look at the game plan, try and make the most effective robot you can within the time period. What are your robots made from? Some of them are made from the kits that you originally get, so like the Tetrix and the Matrix kits, which is like Meccano, but there's also the rule which means you can make your own supplies and so like you can 
3D print objects and you can um, CNC router objects. Well, our robot, we've only had two days to build it. So we had to go with a basic design. And our idea was in this particular challenge block party, a lot of the blocks get stuck in the corners. And our idea was that if we had like a rake structure, it would be easier to pull the blocks out. And so that's kind of what we did. So, um, Although it wasn't successful, um, it sort of worked sometimes. So can you tell me about this? You've got a challenge with blocks. So for the audience who aren't too familiar with the challenge, what is this a robot going to a field where there's blocks in the way? or? Um, so th there are 100 blocks on the field and the robots have to either push the blocks into a small zone or lift it up and put it in a basket. Okay. So you've got, you've got robots here that look like there's Meccano involved and there's also Lego blocks. Is that right? So we use, as Caitlin said, we can use a Tetrix matrix or make our own, but everyone has to use a NXT or EV3 to put the programs into the robots and that has to be attached to the robot as well as putting a Samantha module on, which allows us to connect to the Wi-Fi to actually run the game. So, yes. So you've got NXT and Samantha, what are those? Well, the NXT is the actual like block that has all the programs in it. So you use a software which is either LabVIEW or RobotC and you program what you want the robot to do and then you'll download the software onto uh, the brick and then plug it into the motors on the robot and it should work. It's kind of like a giant USB. So. And the Samantha connects to the field control system when you play the games. So it's so you have your robot on the field and then it's the one that connects so you can actually move your robot. And how did you get involved with robots? Um, well, there was a competition before FTC called FLL and so the first Lego League and so some of us competed in that before we went up because we were either too old or it was just not challenging enough. And then um, some of our, since I, we're in the community robotics team, um, one of our main sponsors everybody knows her like most of the people in our team know her and so she kind of created a team of the people who know her and tried to incorporate robotics into what she does as well and you mentioned uh, being too old so there's age limits for all of this yeah fll is from about 9 to 13 or 14 ftc is about from 14 to 19 and then frc so the big big robots is from 19 till uni but you can always move up or down as long as you stay in those age limits. And what does FLL and FTC stand for? FLL stands for the first Lego League, for first Lego League, and it's only using Lego parts. And FRC stands for First Robotics Challenge, which is kind of like FTC, but it's bigger with bigger robots and bigger challenges. So the robots, instead of being only able to be in an 18 by 18 inch range, they can be from two, two meters high, 50 kilograms in weight, and I think three meters in width. Um, just one thing, FRC is first robotics competition. And can you tell me about Thunder Down Under? Thunder Down Under is a FRC team that 
is held in Macquarie University. Um, it, it's like there are people in university, people in high school, adult mentors who help make up the team. Well, FIRST is really about, well, they want to inspire kids to get into science and technology, but they want to also encourage gracious professionalism and being nice to everyone and helping everyone. And that's really like, although everyone wants to win the game, the big award is always the Inspire Award or the Chairman's Award. And it's really about getting involved in the community and helping your fellow teammates and competitors out. So that's really what, although everything else is fun, we really try and aim to be the best people we can be. Also, you don't have to be a member of some group to join. It's just anybody who has a team can join. The only things are you have to pay to register. But, yeah, you can find sponsorship for that. That's part of why you become a part of the team. Great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having us. My pleasure. That was Caitlin, Stephanie and Pasito, team roboticists from Macquarie University's Community Robots. You can find out more at firstaustralia.org and indivisibles.com.au. Next up, Electrocraft. Joy Suleiman spoke to me at the Sydney Mini Maker Fair about Electrocraft and irresistible learning. Well, I'll start with Electrocraft. Electrocraft is a meetup here in Sydney for women and girls who want to do electronics. You can find us on Facebook, just search for Electrocraft and... Um, we're four women, but also men who are our friends often join our Facebook group to kind of lend their support. We meet up once a month in Vibewire on Harris Street in Ultimo, usually the first Thursday of the month, and we try and have a theme, but I'll be honest and tell you, this is a social meetup. So the reason I came up, you know, the reason I put this meetup together was I was looking around and I wanted a place where if I was going to spend my time kind of learning and thinking about electronics, I wanted it to feel fun. I didn't always want to feel like I needed to be doing something. I wanted it to feel like the sorts of things I do to socialise and learn, which are things like book club, or I've seen other friends who join craft groups and stuff like that. And so I thought about that kind of model for electronics. It's been going since November last year. We've got over 100 members on our Facebook group and we get a good rollout every month. And irresistible learning. Well, irresistible learning is a business and uh, my colleague Daniel and I, we do workshops in schools, in communities, libraries and other kind of informal learning spaces and also with teachers. And we do really basic introduction to ideas around electronics and computer programming using Scratch. We're looking at other things, but yeah, that's what we're working on at the moment. That's been going for a little while and that's a lot of fun and that's our passion. We want to make this uh, kind of technology, learning with and about and around technology as accessible as possible. We don't actually believe that it's a space that should be reserved to people who are experts or who feel that they have, that they have to have a certain level of kind of skill and knowledge. This space lends itself really well to play. Anyone who's a maker knows that. And anyone who isn't should know that. And so that's kind of our mission around that work. It's really lovely to come down to the Mini Maker Fair here at the Powerhouse Museum, meet the community, hang out and see all the the awesome kind of um, energy around making that's happening in Sydney at the moment. Joy Suleiman, thank you very much. Thanks very much. That was Joy Suleiman talking about electrocraft and irresistible learning. And now it's the seniors' turn. 
Dr. Gail Kenning from UTS and Dr. Kathy Treadaway from Cardiff Metropolitan University were also at the Sydney Mini Maker Fair with their project Handy Pockets, which is aimed at providing fun mental stimulation for seniors with dementia. The project's called Handy Pockets and what we're thinking about is making sensory objects for people with late stage dementia. These are people who may be wheelchair bound or bedridden or not able to do very much but still need sensory stimulation or things to do or just to have fun. So we're making objects that they can touch, play with, fiddle with and that they can have fun just playing around with. And so what do the objects look like? It varies enormously. Part of our approach is what we call a participatory design or co-design approach. So it's not necessarily what we as artists and designers want to make. We're talking to people, carers, family, people with dementia. And here at the Powerhouse, what we've been doing is asking anybody around what would be fun for them to touch and get them to make things that are fun in the hope that what they make would be fun for somebody else to play with. So we've made um, a whole range of beautifully decorated uh, pockets that are stitched around. They're about um, a, a foot, just under A4 in size, and they've got ribbons and bells and different things that you can touch and sense. And things, some of them have things inside them that are interesting to fiddle with. Things inside to fiddle with. Can you say a little bit more? Things to play with to stimulate the senses because what we find with dementia, sometimes senses diminish and so sight may go, hearing may go, but sensory things, things to touch, they've got bells in, some we've got some objects that are scented because that's quite important, that's one of the latest senses to go. And so it's things that have that sort of stimulation and they may look like things, we've got a teddy bear with a bell in his head and we've got shapes, we've got things that are pieces of knitting so if somebody late stage dementia has knitted in the past they may not know anymore how to knit but they might want to touch something and understand that it feels good to touch a woven or a knitted fabric. And I saw a little bit of your presentation yesterday and you had someone who loved cats that made something interesting. Yes, that comes from a project that we did in Cardiff because it's an international project with Cardiff. And in that workshop, uh, we had a profile of somebody. So we were making an object specifically for somebody who had a cat. And she was at the stage where she wouldn't remember her cat or a cat's name, but she would remember that what it feels to stroke a cat. So the cat that we had had electronics embedded. So when she stroked it, it purred and it had a vibration. So she felt good. Um, She may not remember that it was a cat or in the name, but she knew that that felt good to her. The the project in Wales was, the, the, the pocket idea came from that project. We were developing sensory garments for people with late stage dementia that had pockets. And so that was the inspiration behind what we've been doing here at the Maker Fair. And everybody loves the idea of a pocket. What have you got in your pocket when you pull something out? It's always very personal, but it's often quite fun. Oh, look what I found in my pocket. And that's the sort of idea that we're playing with here. Terrific. And if people want to find out about the work online, is there somewhere they can look? Definitely. Handsproject.info. So that's H-A-N-D-S project, P-R-O-J-E-C-T 
www.ingenieurs.info. There's a lot of information there, or we're starting to put information about the project. It's ongoing projects. Um, there's a series of projects coming up, but we're interested in people contacting us, and if people want more information, contact us there. Yeah, the project is also part of Cariad's research. Cariad is a research centre at Cardiff Metropolitan University in the UK and the Cariad Research Centre is a centre that puts people at, at its heart and it's all about participatory, inclusive design research. And here in Sydney we also have Alzheimer's supporting us in, in the project. They're very interested and we're talking to them about how we extend this project. So we're very interested in that. Gail and Cathy, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. That was Dr Gail Kenning and Dr Cathy Treadaway from Helping Assist with New Devices for Seniors with Handy Pockets. You can find out more at handsproject.info. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvellous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography, collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, standing ovations, gasps of amazement and helpful suggestions to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network and 2 Triple H in Hornsby, Karingai, 100.1 FM. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and apparently on astronomy.fm. You can now hear Diffusion on Stitcher, radio on demand and on the go. Download the free app from stitcher.net and please Review Diffusion. Ask your local radio station to broadcast Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for photos, links and videos that go with this week's show. You support Diffusion by downloading a free book from Audible. Audible will sponsor Diffusion for everyone who signs up to the free 30-day trial and downloads the free book of their choice from audibletrial.com science. Or look for the donate button on www.diffusionradio.com to support the show directly. I'm putting together a crowdfunding campaign for Diffusion on fundscience.org.au. It might take a few weeks before we go live. It's a lot to work out. 
I'd really appreciate hearing from you about the funder rewards you think I should offer and what people and subjects you'd like me to cover if only I had the funding. For example, I'd like to do more panel discussions if I had a second microphone. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more Science Wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. And to take us out, Tom Glazer with What is Energy? Part 2. With the discovery of atomic energy, scientists have found that matter can be changed into energy and energy can be changed into matter. But even though matter and energy may change their forms, the total amount in the universe remains the same. The law of conservation, speaking universally, says you can't increase or decrease the amount of energy. Though energy may change its form and does it constantly, you can't increase or decrease the quantity. change its form and does it constantly you can't increase or decrease the quantity